Today I want us to continue our look at the Lord's Prayer as found in the Gospel of Matthew, the 6th chapter, the ninth through the 13th verses. If you'll recall, this is not something that we are to pray verbatim as such. Whenever Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, he preceded these words with the words, pray like this not pray these words every time. What he's giving us here is a template or a pattern to follow in our prayers. And uh, so, first of all, I want to go through this real quickly. There are six parts. We covered the three, well, three of them last week. It starts out, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And at that point, we're acknowledging who he is, and who we are. And then he follows, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And at this point, we need to be getting our own priorities straight. We need to realize that we're much more concerned about living in God's kingdom than trying to establish uh, our own kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven in our hearts and in our lives and in the hearts and lives of those around us. Then the third part, give us this day our daily bread. We share our needs with him. And if you recall last week, we talked about how whenever we are living for him, we are on a team with him. And so then uh, whenever we get together with him in prayer, we let him know what we feel that we need in order to live our lives for him. He continues the fourth part, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And here we confess and receive forgiveness. The fifth part, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Having been forgiven for our confessed transgressions and right with God all the way up and down, we pray that he'll help us to maintain purity and holiness in our lives. And then he concludes with what I think is one of the most important parts of the Lord's Prayer. And interestingly, it is left out of uh, quite a few of the newer translations, the older translations the Textus Receptus, which is the received text from which we uh, get the King James Bible and uh, many other of the early Bibles, uh, contains these words, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In some of the newer texts that uh, they've discovered, this is left out, and some scholars have decided, well, this wasn't in the original, so we'll leave it out. But to me, this is very, very important because you see this last part, this conclusion sums up why we're praying this prayer in the first place. And in order to understand this, I want you to go with me back to the Garden of Eden. And there you'll see Satan telling Eve that God doesn't want you to eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if you eat from this tree, then you will be like him. 
And this is where the trouble all began, was whenever we began to stray from God's kingdom, when we discovered, we decided that we could be our own God, that instead of living for God in God's kingdom, we wanted a kingdom of our own. And this, let's face it, he said, he said, you will be like God. This is what happened at the fall. All of a sudden, we weren't God's subjects anymore, or we didn't think that we were. All of a sudden, humanity developed this penchant toward wanting to have their own kingdom and do things in their own power for their own glory. This is what caused Satan to fall. He wanted the kingdom. He wanted the power. He wanted the glory. And whenever we try to take God's kingdom, his power, and his glory from him in our own lives, when we start living, trying to establish our own kingdom or living like the world is our own kingdom and wanting to do things in our own power and our own glory, all of a sudden we're separated from God. And so at the end of this prayer, we see that we have acknowledged that he is Lord, that this is his world. And yes, he created us to be a part of his kingdom. He created us to have a proper place in this world. He created us to uh, make a difference in this world. And he wants to work along with us in helping us to be those people he created us to be. And so as children reconcile to God, now then we are working with him in his kingdom and doing so, we don't have to work only in our own power, but we work with his power behind us and his glory is what we seek and not our own. And whenever we're living like that, then God has our back. When we live like that, we can come and say, give us this day our daily bread because he will supply us with what we need to live the life that he created us to live. A story I didn't share with you last week that I meant to that kind of brings us to a head. Yes, he cares about you and he wants to supply you with your needs. And that's not just with your personal needs, but also the needs of those that he has entrusted to you. And there was a time whenever we were living in Jacksonville, Texas, and uh, I was uh, serving a church there. Four kids, it was a small church, the pay was very low, and we had run out of money before the end of the month came and I got my paycheck. And we were scrounging around uh, looking for, I don't know if you've ever had to dig through the seats in your car looking for change, but I had done that. We had all the change together for that. We uh, had uh, uh, together together uh, deposit return, uh, re- well, return deposit bottles that you could get money back on and uh, scraped together everything else we could have in the house. And I think we came up with about 68 cents. And we knew that if eggs were on sale, sometimes they were on sale for 68 or 69 cents. And we were close. And if eggs were on sale, we could get some eggs and we could eat at least one more good meal with eggs. And so we all circled up, uh, my wife and our four kids, 
and we prayed that the Lord would just stretch the money that we had and help us to get some eggs. And just as we finished that prayer, there was a knock on the door. And we went and we answered the door and there was a young man there. He hadn't joined our church yet, but he was coming regularly. He was a single man and uh, he uh, he was standing there and he said, um, um, I don't really know how to ask you this, but uh, could you use some eggs? And we just looked at each other and said, well, you know, we sure could. In fact, we were just praying about eggs. And he just looked really relieved. He said, oh, thank goodness. I'm so glad. Because you see, uh, I'm, I'm. it's just me and my parents. They have these chickens and they lay eggs and they keep giving me these eggs. And I can't eat all the eggs they give me. And I just don't hate to tell them I can't take the eggs that they give me because they're so happy doing it for me. But I figured that you had a big family and maybe you could use some eggs. And I said, well, yes, we sure can. And so he said, oh, great. Just wait right there. And he brought back three grocery sacks with eggs about three or four layers deep, just enough to not crush in a paper grocery sack. And there were dozens of eggs there. And so we just read whatever he left. And when he says he was leaving, he said, oh, and by the way, could, could you use eggs on a regular basis? I could really uh, use some help in eating these eggs. Oh, yeah, man, we'll take all the eggs that you can bring us. That's great. He went off happy. And whenever the door closed, we just rejoiced because God had just instantaneously answered our prayer. And one of our little girls said, we should have prayed for steak. Well, the thing is, is that God supplied what we needed in order to keep going for him. And he's done that over and over and over again in our lives. And he will for you as well. So that's give us this day our daily bread. Now, the next part I want to look at, I want to skip down and kind of go backwards, starting with the fifth section where it says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because what we're really asking there and what we're really saying there in our prayer is, God, I want to be holy. I want to live the life that you created me to live. I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. And just before that, you've already asked for the forgiveness of your sins. You've acknowledged that you've forgiven others. And so now that you're washed and cleansed, and so you ask the Lord's help in staying clean and living cleanly of clean and pure life before him. And lead us not into temptation. And some people uh, have trouble with this. And I must say, this concerned me for quite a while because it says in other places in scripture that God does not tempt us. And so I looked into this and this is a special uh, case in, in in Greek. It's called the permissive imperative and rightly translated, it should read, do not allow us to be led into temptation. And let's face it, even though we've come to know the Lord Our hearts are, as the song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. Our hearts 
are prone to want to drift toward temptation. And so he's saying, you need to pray that you not be led into temptation. And who's going to lead us? First of all, our own thoughts and desires will lead us into temptation if we entertain them. And so we need to be praying that the Lord will help us to steer clear of temptation. And then he says, but deliver us from evil. And that's more rightly translated, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from the attacks of the devil. Deliver us from the attacks of Satan. Because yes, even though our own hearts are still have impurities that need to be cleansed and he's still working on us and he's going to continue to be working on us till we go and meet him in in, 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 in the air. Uh, until that time, we're still prone to wander. And so we ask the Lord to help us to even steer clear of those things that will cause us to sin. But even though we're doing that, there is a power of evil at work in this world. Let's face it. And sometime, <clears throat> because you're God's child, because you have been born again and you have been given the right to become a child of God, just because you're his, the enemy can't stand it. And he will attack and he will try to, to bring you down. But let's face it. If someone attacks God's children, they've got more than that child to deal with. They've got God himself to deal with as well. And so you don't face these things alone, but we're supposed to ask for his help. And so we ask that we be delivered from the evil one. Deliver us from the evil that's at work against us in the world today. And as you lean on him and walk with him, many times you'll go through tough times but he will deliver you from them. But we have to ask. We have to ask him. And we have to recognize what's going on. And so then I want us to back up to the last part I want to look at today. And this is so important. It's so crucial because this has to do with our relationship with God. It's at the heart of the whole thing. It's at the heart of being brought back into his kingdom, into a right relationship with him, because this is where you keep your relationship straight and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Now, I'm going to say briefly here that this part where it says, uh, as, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us, that's better translated as we have already forgiven those who have trespassed against us. It's not that you just take time right now and uh, say, okay, we're going to forgive. We're going to, you forgive me because I'm going to forgive somebody. That's not what's going on here. Before you go to the Lord in prayer, you're supposed to have already forgiven. And we'll look more at why that's so next week, because we're going to be looking at forgiveness in depth next week. But today I want us to look more on the healing of a relationship, because you see, at this point, <clears throat> he add, we're, we're supposed what we do here is we confess how we have fallen short in our living for Him. We've confessed that we are His already, and we've asked for help in what we need, and then we ask Him to forgive us for those things that we have done wrong 
that might separate us from him if we don't do something about it. And so, you see, we must confess. We can't just uh, uh, go ahead and uh, just say, okay, I've sinned. It can't be a blanket confession. I've sinned, Lord, please forgive me. And then you go on. No, this is personal. You haven't really confessed until you confess your personal sin to the God you have a personal relationship with. Blanket prayers do not get it done, folks. It must be specific. I'll tell you, I was driving along a few years ago, uh, going back from uh, down south somewhere and heading back up uh, into northeast Texas and coming into Lufkin, Texas, and there was an old man on the side of the road in front of his old beat-up pickup truck. The lid was up, or the hood was up on the truck, and steam was coming out, and he just looked so distraught. And I remember praying, oh, Lord, I pray that you'll just bless him. I pray, Lord, that you'll just send somebody to stop and to help him. And the Lord just spoke to me and said, well, what are you doing right now? And you know the Lord can speak volumes in just a few words, can't he? What are you doing right now? And tied into that was, you don't have anywhere special to go. You're not in any hurry. You can be the answer to your own prayer this time, Joel. Go back there and help that guy. Yes, he needs your help. Go help him. Now, I had a choice to make. I could pretend I hadn't heard that voice. And I could have continued on my trip, but instead I said, okay, Lord. And I turned around and I went back and yes, he needed help. He didn't have any, his his car, his truck had overheated. He had a broken hose on it. If he could just get back home, everything would be okay. And he just lived a few blocks down, but uh, he needed to somehow, he didn't have a container to put water in. He needed somehow to have access to water to put in his radiator to keep the engine cool till he got back home. And so, uh, interestingly, as I was, as I'd stopped there, I was talking to him, a highway patrolman pulled up and he checked us out, made sure everything was okay. And, uh, I explained to him what was going on and, uh, and he said, okay. So he left. And so then I took the, the elderly gentleman with me. We went and got something to put water in. In fact, I think I had a good jug. I think I had a, a gallon jug in the back, uh, an antifreeze jug. And we put water in that at a nearby convenience store. And we took that back. That got him back and going again. And he was able to get home without cracking his block or doing any major damage to his car. And then I got back in the car and drove on at peace with God because I'd done what God told me to do. In James, we read that if you know what God wants you to do and you don't do it, that it's sin. And so you see, whenever that night, if I had not stopped, whenever it came time for me to say my prayers, I would have to have said, oh, God, forgive me. I knew what you wanted me to do and I did not do it. Please forgive me. I'll do better next time. So that's just it. You see, you confess specifically to those things that you've done during the day, and you should have already confessed those other things specifically that you've done. Sometimes you can be uh, haunted by something that you did in your past, 
that you think is unforgivable, but there's not one thing that you have done that Jesus didn't die on the cross to pay the full price for it, a full and perfect sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, it says. That includes your sin. That includes sins that you may think God could never forgive and never forget. And yet, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from some unrighteousness. No, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I want to encourage you that if there's something that's been bothering you and maybe Satan keeps coming back and bringing it up over and over again, confess it one more time on your knees. Say, Lord, I know that this was wrong and I ask you to forgive me. And then you know that the forgiveness has already been given because you've confessed it and he is faithful and just to forgive his sin, your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So receive the forgiveness that he's offered. Receive the forgiveness that has already been purchased for you on Calvary through Jesus' precious blood. He paid the price so that you could be at peace with God. That death penalty that you were due, he paid the price for. And so now you are washed and you're cleansed. And then I want to encourage you after you've received his forgiveness to write this down somewhere that you can refer back to. Maybe in your Bible, on such and such a day, at such and such a time, in such and such a place, I got on my knees and I confessed this particular sin before God and he washed me and cleansed me and set me free. So now I am free to live for him at peace with him. And then the next time, that Satan starts to bring it up and say, hey, yeah, but you know, you did such and such. You say, you know, devil, you're right. I did. But you know what else? I was sorry and I am sorry. And I have gotten on my knees and on such and such a date, at such and such a time, in such and such a place, I confessed my sadness and my sorrow. I confessed my regret to God. And I asked for his forgiveness and he gave it. And I am no longer indebted to sin. I have been set free and he doesn't hold that against me anymore. He has cast my sin as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. And it's what he thinks that matters. I'm done with that. So you just get behind me, Satan, and move on. This is what we call putting down a stake, putting a place in time that you can refer back to where you have been forgiven. There's a story that pretty well sums all this up, and I'd like to close with it today. In a short story, the capital of the world, Ernest Hemingway tells of a Spanish father and his teenage son. The relationship between the father and son had become strained and eventually the relationship just shattered. And when the rebellious son, whose name was Paco, uh, ran away from home, his father began a long and arduous search to find him. And then as a last resort, the exhausted father placed a hopeful ad in a Madrid newspaper, hoping that his son would see the ad and respond to it. 
The ad read, Dear Paco, please meet me in front of the newspaper office at noon. All is forgiven. Love, Father. As Hemingway tells the story, the next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, were 800 Pacos, all seeking forgiveness from their fathers. Are you like one of those Pacos, carrying around a load of guilt and wanting forgiveness, but not knowing where to find it? Your father in heaven, who loves you so very much, has made the first move. Just as Paco's father ran an ad in the paper, so God sent his son to die on a Roman cross. And you see right here in the center of the Lord's prayer, he issues that that proclamation once more. All is forgiven. All is forgiven. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, he's talking about the cross. He said, I will draw all people to me. And you know, along with all those Pacos who showed up at the newspaper office, you're invited to come as well. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.